So we continue our studies in the book of assurance. We're going to look at verses 12 through 14 this morning, uh, but I will read to verse 17 to set some of the context. So 1 John chapter 2, we'll begin reading at verse 12. The Christian's spiritual state. I write to you, little children, because your sins are forgiven you for his name's sake. I write to you, fathers, because you've known him who is from the beginning. I write to you, young men, because you've overcome the wicked one. I write to you, little children, because you've known the father. I've written to you, fathers, because you've known him who is from the beginning. I've written to you, young men, because you are strong and the word of God abides in you, and you've overcome the wicked one. Do not love the world or the things in the world. If anyone loves the world, the love of the Father is not in him. For all that is in the world, the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, and the pride of life is not of the Father, but is of the world. And the world is passing away in the lust of it. But he who does the will of God abides forever. Amen. Well, let us pray. The Lord our God, we ask once again that you'd send forth your spirit amongst your people. We pray that you'd enlighten our minds, enlighten our eyes concerning Christ and what he has done. Help us to grow. Help us to have understanding. Help us to grow in the knowledge of you. Help us to grow in the grace of you, but also help us to grow in how we ought to live in light of your truth. Help us to walk in your ways. Help us to do what is pleasing in your sight. And we ask and pray that your word uh, would nourish your people. We pray that your spirit would be poured out. Your spirit would be with us. Your spirit would help us now as we come to consider some comforting things, come to consider some difficult things. And so for those that need to be comforted, we pray that you would comfort. For those that need to be rebuked, we pray that you would rebuke. And for those that need to be saved, we pray that you would save. So strengthen your sheep, we pray. Save sinners, we pray. And in all things, we pray that you be glorified. And we pray these things in the name of Christ. Amen. Amen. Well, when it comes to parenting, words of ex exhortation, words of guiding, words of correction are important. But we shouldn't forget that words of encouragement are needed as well. If we only ever scold, if we only ever discipline, perhaps we're going to only exasper uh, exasperate and eject our children. Well, the same thing is true for our Christian walk. Sometimes we need to be corrected. Sometimes we need to be rebuked. Sometimes we need to be exhorted. But sometimes we need to be encouraged as well. And this is exactly what John does for us in verses 12 through 14. He's recapping things he has already said for that very purpose, to remind the Christian of what they are in Christ and to remind them of who they are in the Lord Jesus Christ. And remember, John is writing to assure the saints at Ephesus. He's writing to assure them that they know the Lord Jesus Christ. We see his main thesis in 1 John chapter 5, verse 13, against the threat of men who said, here's how you know God. But the way they taught knowing God was not in the Lord Jesus Christ. And if one does not know the Lord Jesus Christ, then they don't have these wonderful spiritual blessings that are found in him. And remember, first John is structured much like a sermon. And so in a lot of ways, we're in point one of his sermon, which is walking in the light. And we saw he talked about the test of walking in the light, the test of knowing him. We have to recognize our sinfulness, recognize of, of our, our, uh, be our nature, recognize of the acts of sin that we commit in contrast with the false teachers. But also the commandments play an important role as well. 
not as a way of salvation, but as an assurance. If we know God, if we love God, if we're part of the word of life, should we not then love the things that God loves? And so the commandments play an important role when it comes to this test of assurance. And again, perhaps even though the whole book is about assurance, as we hear about commandments, as we hear about uh, sin, as we hear about these things, Perhaps there are some sensitive souls that would be concerned, sensitive souls that would be concerned about their salvation. So after hitting some commandments and what that looks like, after challenging some of the false teaching, he comes now to once again affirm those that are in the Lord Jesus Christ. Now, the overarching problem throughout the book is the problem of men who claim to be children of God but they claim to be children of God outside of the Lord Jesus Christ. That's why these tests are important. That's why the commandments are important. And so John then comes in verse 12 to remind them of who they are, to remind them of that change that God has wrought in their life, to remind them of that new principle implanted by the Holy Spirit, of what we are in he who is the word of God. Life. So what then is the true spiritual state of God's children? Well, there are three things I think we see in these verses. And the first thing we see is our forgiveness of sins. The second thing we see is our knowledge of the gospel. And the third thing we see is our strength over the evil one. So forgiveness of sins, knowledge of the gospel, and our strength over the evil one. And I'm going to structure it not so much in the flow of verse by verse, but in the structure and flow of the, uh, the two sets of triads that we see, little children, fathers, and young men. So forgiveness of sins, knowledge of the gospel, and our strength over the evil one. So let's first look at our forgiveness of sins in verses 12 and 13c. And once again, the structure of these verses is these two sets of triads with repetition. I write to you, I wrote to you. Perhaps it's stylistic. Uh, for, uh, that could be the reason why he changes up to the past tense, but it really is not such a big deal. Uh, the thing he wants to assure them of is what they are. And notice often throughout this letter, he says, I write to you. And then here in this condensed three verses, he says, I write to you, 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 I write to you. He wants them to know something. He wants to be assured of something. And he wants them to know who they are in the Lord Jesus Christ. And he draws us in by way of that repetition throughout these two sets of triads. So the triads follow those addressed, little children, fathers, and young men. And notice the first group who is addressed in verse 12 and verse, uh, verse 13c. Notice, I write to you, little children, I write to you, little children. Now, John often uses this language uh, throughout the book, uses two different words throughout the book. It shows his love for them as their father in many ways. Their spiritual father shows them, uh, shows them his, care for them, uh, his care for them. He writes to them as little children. He writes to those who need to grow. He writes to those who need some assurance. Now, children need to listen to their fathers, but children also need to be nurtured and need to know that their parents love and forgive them. 
And that seems to be the tone that he strikes here in verse 13, uh, 12 and 13. He wants them to know forgiveness, and he wants them to know that they know the Father. He wants them to know that they are loved. He wants them to know that they are forgiven. He wants them to know of what they have in the Lord Jesus Christ. So I write to you, little children, and then we see those benefits. And the first benefit is forgiveness. Because your sins are forgiven you for, or perhaps better, through his name's sake. Now, this harkens back to chapter 1, verse 9, as he's talking about the reality of sin, as he's talking about the reality that God's people were born in sin and God's people actually commit actual sins. He also talks about where forgiveness lies. Christ Jesus and his blood cleanses us from all sin. If you're in Christ, he has forgiven us for our past sins. And if you're in Christ, he, is, he will forgive you of the sins that you will still commit. He is a sufficient high priest who is the same yesterday, today, and forever. But in nine, he says, if we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. Brethren, if you're like me, you probably still struggle with remaining sin and remaining corruption. Perhaps you feel like day by day in your sanctification, you feel worse and worse and worse as our wickedness is more exposed and our need for Christ is more exposed as well. But it highlights where we can go. It highlights to whom we can call upon. It highlights that we have a great high priest who we can go to. And so in verse 12, he hearkens back to verse 9, but also reminds them, you go to him in your sin. You go to them when you struggle. You go to them, him when you sin and confess it to him. But if you're in Christ, your sins are forgiven. As we saw in Colossians chapter 2, all our trespasses are forgiven in the Lord Jesus Christ. All our trespasses are forgiven in the Lord Jesus Christ, who is the propitiation, who is that sacrifice who turns away the wrath of God for his people. And when we consider the prophecies of the Old Testament concerning the new, one of the blessed promises of the new covenant is that our sins are forgiven. One of the blessed promises of the new covenant is that we know God. We don't have to tell our neighbor, but we know God, that it's an internal work. It's a spiritual work that is wrought by the Holy Spirit. When God saves his people, he removes hearts of stone and he gives hearts of flesh, which comes out of the prophecy of Ezekiel chapter 36. God is the one who makes us alive. God is the one who makes us born again. It is what he wrought, uh, brings about by the spirit. But it's a new covenant blessing. It's a new covenant assurance. It's a new covenant promise that we are forgiven in the Lord Jesus Christ. He has taken away our sins. They are forgiven. They are removed. That debt that we owe to God is taken away. That debt that we could not pay and is deserving of punishment is removed because of Jesus Christ and our sins are forgiven. Now, sometimes we like to make much of Greek and it's good to study Greek. It's good to read Greek and it's good to understand Greek. Uh, sometimes when I knew a little bit of Greek, I used to make a lot of past tenses. It's once for all time or present tenses. It's just continuous. Uh, that's probably not as big of a deal as I made it out to be. I mean, we don't really talk that way, right? 
I said I ate a donut yesterday, I'm not communicating to you I ate a donut once for all time. Uh, I'm just telling you that I ate a donut. So we don't have to make a big deal about a lot of things that we see with those types of tenses, but the perfect tense is one that we have to make much of sometimes because it's rarer. And we see in verses 12 through 14 perfect tenses. Your sins are forgiven you. That is, what has happened in the past still has ongoing implication and ongoing influence. You have been forgiven and you are forgiven in the Lord Jesus Christ. That does not change. That status is not removed because of the sufficiency of our blessed Savior. I write to you, little children, because your sins are forgiven you. We have a great mediator of this blessed new covenant who removes our sins and removes the wrath of God and turns it away. And notice, through his name's sake, it's through Christ Jesus, not in any other way, not in some special knowledge, not in some secret knowledge, not in some special experience, but in and through the Lord Jesus Christ, through his name's sake. That is what that means. He is the means by which we have forgiveness before God most high. And when we talk about assurance, brethren, we can boil it down to one word, Christ. That is where our assurance lies. And yes, commandments can be an assurance as well as it flows out of our union with Christ and being found in him. But our assurance really is found in the finished work of the Lord Jesus Christ. Calvin says, without this assurance, religion would not be otherwise than fading and shadowy. Nay, they who pass by the free remission of sins and dwell on other things build without a foundation. Christ is that firm foundation, and he wants us to be reminded in Christ our sins are forgiven. But he also wants us to know, or little children to know, those perhaps who are young or new in the faith to know, or all, all, not just young and new in the faith, but all of God's people to know that not only do we have forgiveness, but we have known the Father. That's in 13c, but it's in 14a in the Greek. And I was confused as I was going back through this and looking over my notes. I have a lot of burning questions I want to ask the Lord when we get to heaven. And I want to ask, why are the verses mixed up that way? Uh, I probably haven't had that hard of a life if I'm thinking that way, but uh, that's one question I'm going to, to raise. Probably not. I'm just sort of joking. But uh, 14a in, uh, Greek, or in the Greek and then uh, 13c uh, in the English. And so notice, you, I write to you little children because you have known the Father. Now think about what is said in one five. This is the message we have heard from him and declare to you that God is light and in him is no darkness at all. Think about what propitiation means and the wrath of God and what that signifies, what our sin is deserving of. Everlasting death and when sin came into the world and when we were born into this world, we were separated from God most high. Yet now we can call upon God as our father. Brethren, we take the first petition or really the preface of the Lord's prayer for granted, don't we? Our father who art in heaven. That is revolutionary when it comes to the unfolding of redemptive history. That sinners can call upon God in this intimate, special way as our father. And again, remember, these false teachers were saying, here's how you have fellowship with the Father. And it was wrong. And so John is assuring them, here is how you have fellowship with the Father. And as we saw in verses 1 through 4 of chapter 1, 
It is in and found, it is found in the word of life. It is through the gospel, it is through Jesus Christ that we have fellowship with the Father and his Son. We have fellowship with the apostles who have fellowship with the Father and with his Son. It's what we call the doctrine of adoption. Calvin says, like, we were like orphans until we attained the grace of adoption by the gospel. It's one of the greatest benefits, or one of the, there are many great benefits, but one of the great benefits of the work of the Spirit and the application of the Spirit of what Christ has done is adoption, that we can call upon him as our Father. In 1 John 3, 1, he says, Behold what manner of love the Father has bestowed on us, that we should be called children of God. How can someone know the Father? It is through forgiveness in Christ Jesus. How do we have fellowship with God most high? We who were once dead in our trespasses and sins, it is through Christ who died on behalf of his people. And so he wants to write to them. I write to you that you might know that you're forgiven. I write to you that you, brethren, have known the Father and you know the Father through the Lord Jesus Christ. Now, all these verses are application. But the application we can take away from verses 12 and 13c is the present reality of forgiveness of sins for the people of God and the present access to the Father for the people of God. All these things are easy to forget. Both of these things are easy to forget. That's why Gill says, go to God seeking forgiveness as a poor, sensible sinner. Not as though there is no forgiveness, whether we feel there is forgiveness or not, does not change the reality there is. Our emotions, our affections can often play tricks on us. That's why we come to God's word. Sometimes, brethren, we can struggle with sins for a long period of time. We can go through great battles and go through great backsliding, and we might think, we might entertain the thought that we are not forgiven. That's why we have to come back to the word of God. And to one, he says, my little children don't sin. But if you do sin, you have an advocate with the father, Jesus Christ, the righteous. We have a great and glorious high priest. And we have a great and loving father who forgives us of our sins and who knows us. And we know him. Don't forget that. Don't forget the present reality that you have because of Jesus Christ, forgiveness and fellowship with the Father. So that's our forgiveness of sins. Let's look secondly at our knowledge of the gospel in verse 13a and 14a. I write to you, fathers, because you've known him who is from the beginning. And in verse 14, I, write, I have written to you, fathers, because you've known him who is from the beginning. Not much amplification as far as the triad here uh, or the, uh, this part here. Uh, but the emphasis here is probably perhaps not so much age, uh, but perhaps those who are more spiritually mature. And those who are spiritually mature still need to grow, uh, still need to learn, still need to recognize and be affirmed of the great foundation that we have. And so he says, I write to you, fathers, and perhaps he's, and he says, because you have known him who is from the beginning. And that reference of from the beginning does refer to that gospel of Christ Jesus, does refer to being found and known in him. 
And the reason perhaps he mentions this here is because sometimes perhaps maturity and as we grow in wisdom, it can bring pride. That should, that's no, no shocker, is it? That when we grow in things and grow in knowledge and grow in grace, the reality is we probably grow in pride as well. Pride always rears its ugly head. And so perhaps to combat the arrogance that the false teachers exhibited at this time, that is, they, uh, the, um, they thought it was secret knowledge. You have to come to this higher knowledge. You have to come to this greater place. You have to be like one who has a PhD in theology to be saved. He is writing to say, no, I write to you fathers because you've known Christ and him who is from the beginning. Jesus, who was in the beginning, or I guess we could say the son who is, uh, uh, is in the beginning, the one who is fully God and fully man. Uh, but they see, they have known him who was incarnate, the son who came down and took on human flesh. They've known him from the beginning, known him from his gospel, but known him who is before the beginning as well. It's this Christological focus. It's this emphasis on Christ Jesus. I write to you, fathers, because you've known him who is from the beginning. This still remains your foundation as you grow in your Christian life. Whatever attainments and sanctification you might have, the foundation still and always remains the Lord Jesus Christ. I used to attend a church years ago. I know this isn't typically all churches, but it can be characterized by some. Some people view the idea of Sunday as for new people, And then small groups throughout the rest of the week is for the more mature. Brethren, we need the gospel every week. We need the gospel every day. We need the gospel of Christ always. It's not the gospel for the beginning, and then we can forget it, and we have to grow into these higher things. Brethren, we need Christ day by day. I mean, Hebrews 12, as we run the race with endurance, who is Christ? We look to Christ, who is the author and perfecter of our Faith, And so what he is teaching here is that wisdom is not necessarily found in age, although we hope it is. We hope as people grow, we hope as people get older, we hope there is wisdom uh, and they grow in those ways. But maturity is measured in the Lord Jesus Christ. Calvin says it will be of no avail, however long it may have existed, if it derives its origin from error. Wisdom, the fear of the Lord, is the beginning of wisdom. Wisdom is found in Christ. Wisdom is found in the truth. Wisdom is found in him. And one might grow in all these things that are not Christ. They might think they have wisdom, but in reality, it is foolishness. Calvin says, if antiquity delights you, ye have Christ, who is superior to all antiquity. Therefore, his disciples ought not be ashamed of him who includes all ages in himself. I write to you fathers because you've known him who is from the beginning. You have known the Lord Jesus Christ. You have union with him. You have fellowship with him. And as we grow, we grow in him and all things related to him. So whatever age you are, whatever uh, place you're at in your Christian walk, Always grow in the Lord Jesus Christ. Never waver or go away from that blessed gospel found in him and him who is from the beginning. 
So that's our knowledge of the gospel. We have the truth, we know it, we are found in him. Let's then look thirdly and finally at our strength over the evil one. In verses thir- uh, verse 13b uh, and 14c. And our strength over the evil one. And this is where he addresses young men. I write to you, young men. I have written to you, young men. Probably the, referring to those who are younger in their spiritual walk. See how he addresses each sort of person uh, a young child who needs to know their forgiveness, a father who perhaps has grown in maturity, needs to recognize uh, or uh, needs to recognize where our foundation still lies, and then also who may be a new convert and might be struggling with a certain sin and certain difficulties and certain lusts and certain trials when it comes to sin. I write to you, young men. I write, have written to you, young Men And notice the benefits of what we have in Christ for young men. Because you have overcome the wicked one, because you are strong. Notice you've overcome the evil one. We recognize, dear brethren, that unholy trinity, the world, the flesh, and the devil. We have a vanquished foe because of Jesus Christ, but he still is a formidable foe as well. Later on in 1 John, we're going to see what Christ does to him. We see verse 8 of chapter 3. He who sins is of the devil, for the devil has sinned from from the beginning. For this purpose, the Son of God was manifested, that he might destroy the works of the devil. And remember that first gospel proclamation in Genesis 3.15. What is it? The seed of the woman will crush the head of the seed of the serpent. And the Lord Jesus Christ comes and he crushes the head of that serpent of old on that cross. He crushes him. Yes, the Lord's heel is bruised. The seed of the woman is bruised. But Jesus Christ destroys the works of the devil. Now, he still prowls around like a roaring lion today. He still is subtle and can parade as an angel of light. But notice the status that we have in Christ. You have overcome the evil one. And the reason we have overcome the evil one is because Jesus himself has overcome that evil one. And so you've overcome the wicked one. You've overcome the devil. And then he says in verse 14, I have written to you, young men, because you are strong. We are spiritually strong. We are spiritually strong in the Lord Jesus Christ, the one who is mighty. The Bible often uses the idea of the, 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 the warrior motif, this mighty one who rides on this clouds, this one who crushes his enemies. And we see that with our Lord. Mark 1.8, whose sandals, who, uh, who, the one who's coming after me, who's mightier than I, John says, that is Jesus Christ, who is this strong and mighty one whom we can lean upon. And that's one thing that he does. Brethren, we believe in Christ's atoning work. It is penal substitutionary atonement, but that doesn't mean he crushes and engages in conquest against the works of the devil. And because of that, we are strong in him. You have overcome the evil one, and we still pray, Lord, protect us, you know, lead us not to temptation, but deliver us from the evil one. Why can we pray that? Because we have overcome the evil one in the Lord Jesus Christ. And then notice also in verse 14, he says, and the word of God remains in you and you have overcome the wicked one. 
Our strength and foundation as we walk this world, dear brethren, is in Christ Jesus, but as Christ speaks to us in his word. You see, brethren, if we want to resist the devil, we need to draw near to God. That's exactly what James says in James 4. Resist the devil, he will flee to you, draw near to God, and God will draw near to you. God will give us the strength and supply that we need in the battles against the world, the flesh, and the devil. And the best sword that we have, dear brethren, is the word of God. To memorize it, to know it, to be in it, to hear it. Albert Martin, one of my favorite preachers, he said when he had a certain temptation, he went up to into his, his, uh, his, uh, his office and he prayed Romans 6. He prayed Romans 6 where he said, I have died and been buried and raised with Christ. Here's what I am in Christ. Here's who I am in Christ. Now, Lord, take this temptation away. See, this doesn't uh, teach that we're never going to have temptation or never going to have issues, but it reminds us of the strength that we have. It reminds us of what we are. It reminds us of who we are in and his might and his power. That is, we have the word of God. It abides in us. We are strong in him. His grace is made sufficient in weakness. So the application is very clear, dear brethren. We have overcome the devil. Now overcome the evil one. Hebert says, this position of victory over the devil must be maintained daily with a firm faith in Christ and resolute striving against the devil and his temptations. We must put on that whole armor of God, standing fast in the strength of Christ Jesus, as Paul starts off that section in Ephesians chapter 6. We stand fast in him. We stand fast in the Lord. We know the Lord's ways, but it's also not wrong to be aware of the devil's ways, especially as it is revealed to us in God's word. And in God's providence, at our systematic Saturday study, we talked about angels yesterday and fallen angels and, and the, the formidable foe that the devil is. We shouldn't deny that, dear brethren. He is a formidable foe, but he is a vanquished foe. And as we learn more about, as God reveals uh, what an angel is, what a fallen angel is, as the reforms speak about it a lot, it's good for us to be on guard and aware. Some things to point out. The devil can't read your mind. The devil is not everywhere present. The devil is not omniscient. The devil can't read our minds. But the devil is likely to be more subtle. He probably sees the things, or at least his minions, see the things that we are doing and recognize what we're doing and provide subtle suggestions. And if I may say as well, he's usually just enticing us from with the remaining corruption that still indwells us, right? You see, he's not forcing us to do anything. He's enticing us with the very things that we have a proclivity towards. That's kind of important, isn't it? And uh, I took a class on angels a couple weeks ago, and that professor said that when we consider the temptation of the devil and our own temptation, it's probably difficult to distinguish. It's probably part and parcel. When the world, the, you know, the world and the devil are tempting us, it's tempting us from that remaining corruption that is within. But the devil will be very subtle with those things. He's not going to smell of sulfur. We're not going to see his pitchfork. We're not going to see his horns shooting out of his head or however it looks. He's going to roam around 
like an angel. He's certainly a roaring lion, but an angel of lights. And I made a comment yesterday that I'd like to clarify, and I think it helps, hopefully helps with today as well. I think it, don't think it came out well yesterday, but I made the comment concerning social media. Social media in itself is not necessarily a sin, but there are algorithms behind social media that know exactly what you like. Where you pause, where you scroll, what you click on, and they're even listening too, by the way, talk about something you want to buy. And all of a sudden you look at your Facebook page or Twitter, and all of a sudden there's these ads for things that you want to buy. Now again, those things aren't necessarily sinful in and of themselves, but the point is there's a subtlety to it to allure you, to draw you in. Perhaps that's more how the devil works and his minions work. Just subtly putting things before you that they might know, not you know, omnisciently, but might know that you have a proclivity towards. And so, brother, as we deal with this formidable foe, go back to 1 John chapter 2. You have overcome the wicked one. God abides in you. The word of God is in you. You are strong, and you have overcome the wicked one. He, God is with us. Christ is with us. Christ is near to us. It is our identity in the Lord Jesus Christ that we need to know and be reminded of. This is, again teaches us theology matters. Knowing Christ, knowing what he has done, knowing who he is and what we are in him helps us in our Christian walk. And the basis for all these things, forgiveness, knowledge, and strength is in Jesus. Smalley says, the true believers who belong to John's congregation have thus been recalled in verses 12 through 14 to the assured character of their spiritual inheritance. The knowledge of God and his forgiveness, an abiding relationship with Christ, and spiritual strength to conquer the evil one in day-to-day living. And this all flows out of knowing he who is the word of life, being united to he who is the word of life by faith, and being found in him based upon his finished work. That is the benefit. That is the blessings. Those are the benefits that God's people have in the Lord Jesus Christ. And it's meant to be a comfort and encouragement for God's people in this world. Now, if you're an unbeliever here today, you do not have any of these benefits. In fact, you have the exact opposite of these benefits. Your sins are not forgiven. You don't know him. And you are walking according to the prince of the power of the air. And if you continue to do so, you will die in your trespasses and sins. And you shall be punished world without end, righteously by God's righteous wrath. But there is a way to flee that wrath to come. There is a way to find forgiveness. There is a way to know this God. And there is a way to have strength in him. And that is through faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. If you believe upon him, you shall be saved. If you look to him for life everlasting, your sin shall be forgiven. You shall know him and you shall have strength that comes from on high. Believe upon him, you shall be saved. For those who believe upon him have these wonderful and blessed benefits that come from Christ Jesus. Well, let us pray. Our gracious Heavenly Father, we are thankful for this privilege it is to call upon you as our Father. 
Please forgive us for the times that we take it for granted that you are our God and we are your people, that you are our Father and we are your true sons and daughters. Thank you so much that you hear us because of Christ. Thank you that we can boldly approach your throne through Christ Jesus. Thank you that we have forgiveness of sins uh, in Christ Jesus. Thank you that we have known Christ who is from the beginning. We have known Jesus uh, and his perfect work. Uh, You've shown us him, and we continue to walk by faith and walk by him. Thank you so much that we have overcome the wicked one. Thank you so much that the word of God abides in us. Thank you so much that we are strong, and thank you that we are strong in you. Thank you that we are strong because of you. We are strong as we are found in you. Thank you for the finished work of Christ. Thank you for all that he has done. Thank you for atonement. Thank you for the turning away of your wrath. Thank you for the expelling of sin. Thank you for the reconciling of enemies to you. And thank you for the benefits that have been poured out. Thank you for a righteousness, not our own. Thank you that we are adopted. Thank you that you sanctify. Thank you that you preserve us and keep us till the end. And thank you for the promise of a glorified body as well. Thank you for all these things that you've given to us. May we walk now by faith. May we walk now with the assurance of knowing who we are in the Lord Jesus Christ. If there are any here today who do not know you, please work by your spirit with the word to give them that new heart. We pray that you remove that heart of stone and give that heart of flesh. Please bring that about in them to give them new life. Show them their sin. Show them their need for Christ that they might find everlasting peace and blessing and life in him. So we pray that you be with us all as we go into the world. Give us strength by your spirit, we pray in the name of Christ.